Welcome to the May Contain Wine Podcast, brought to you by Wine, Women, and Wellbeing. I'm your host, Lisa Webb, and together we're going to get to know incredible women doing all kinds of interesting things. So grab a glass and get ready to be inspired by the amazing women in our global community. Hello, my friends. Today I'm here with Catherine Bowman. She is a lymphatic researcher and a lymphedema advocate. In 2017, Catherine's mother was diagnosed with secondary lymphedema. At the age of 14, Catherine set out to create the first treatment for her mother's incurable disease. At 15, she founded a national team of clinicians and scientists to pursue the work across Canada, becoming one of the youngest lymphatic researchers in the world to study this widely unexplored condition. Catherine has been named one of Calgary's top 40 under 40 by Avenue Magazine and Forbes top 30 under 30 for her work in the healthcare sector. Catherine is currently studying as a medical student at the University of Calgary. Hello, Catherine. Thank you for being here. Hey, Lisa. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. No big deal. Like You are just like one hell of a bio um, from a very young age. So impressive. So we kind of touched a little bit, but only like that was the Coles Notes version of your bio because you've done a lot of impressive things in a very short amount of time. <laughs> so can you share your story with us a little bit? Tell us what lymphedema is and how that has affected your life and created the path that you're on and what you've been doing. Absolutely. Um, thanks. Yeah. Thanks so much. I, I lymphedema is a chronic incurable uh, disease of the lymphatic system. Uh, and so our lymphatic system does a number of different things in the body. It is part of our immune system. It is part of how we balance fluids in our body, all these different things. Uh, and so lymphedema is primarily affecting the lymphatics. Um, it can be caused by a number of different things. So um, commonly we see what's called secondary lymphedema um, caused by something like say a cancer treatment, oftentimes with breast cancer or gynecologic cancers. Um, what ends up happening is these cancers move to kind of our immune cell schools called lymph nodes. Um, you can find these lymph nodes under armpits, between your legs, all over your body. And so oftentimes our treatment for these different cancers, once they move to these lymph nodes is to either give chemo or radiation or to remove them entirely. And when we do this, it damages how our lymphatic system works. And so a lot of times people uh, with secondary lymphedema will have say a full part of their body, like a full leg, full arm, maybe it's their kind of their chest area that starts to actually accumulate uh, lymph fluid, the fluid that's inside the lymphatic system. And um, this can cause, you know, a lot of discomfort, uh, immobility for, for some patients, uh, and really affect people's psychosocial well-being. So, you know, living um, a social life in, in certain regards, people may feel that their appearance has changed because now they have a, a larger limb. Um, people can get recurrent to infections and things like that. So it's really a disease that affects the whole person. Um, and it is, a, as I said, lifelong chronic uh, illness. And unfortunately, our medical system, uh, we don't know as much about it, how to treat it. Uh, and there's not as much research, say, compared to other uh, chronic illnesses um, around lymphedema and the lymphatic system. There's even a form of lymphedema actually called primary lymphedema, and that's more of an inherited genetic congenital condition um, that many people have as well. And so 
kind of my my introduction to lymphedema, you know, you may not hear about it as as, as often. Um, and that was certainly the case in our family. Um, when I was eight, my mom was diagnosed with um, stage three melanoma, so an aggressive form of skin cancer. Um, and it often spreads quite rapidly, and it likes to spread to those those lymph node structures. And so uh, I watched my mom's cancer spread to her her lymphatic system. And uh, she received treatment at the time, which would be to remove a large number of those lymph nodes from between her legs in her case. And she developed secondary lymphedema um, when I was, yeah, I was about eight years old. And, um, you know, I, I think at first there was this, this moment of how can we get support for this? Where's the community for people suffering with and living with lymphedema? Um, you know, we thankfully did have a doctor who was aware of the condition, though that's not the case for all patients, um, certainly. Um, but we quickly learned that there is no drug treatment for lymphedema. Um, and the therapies that are used to care for patients are a lot of manual physical therapy and are very quite tedious. The condition itself, very uncomfortable. Uh, again, these infections were happening. And so I watched my mom's life change and, and you know, as a result, our, our familial life change a fair amount. Uh, my mom was a palliative and end of life care nurse before she got sick and unfortunately had to stop working because of her lymphedema. Uh, you know, even what would seem like the little thing, she was a piano player uh, and can't sit at the piano for long periods of time because of the pain she experiences. I started to see her lymphedema manifest itself beyond, of course, the, the biomedical diseases and the processes that we learn about, say, in medical school now. Uh, I saw this affecting the whole person and affecting our family. You know, myself and my three older brothers got real good at cooking because standing for a long time was really hard on my mom. Um, and so we, we I, I began to think, you know, how can I make this better? And that was when I was eight, I made a promise to my mother. Like how, how old were you when you first yeah. had this thought? Because so yeah. I have a seven and a nine-year-old at home yeah. and like, I can't even like, I yeah. can't, like I'm trying to, they're all like all about the My Little Ponies. And I mean, <laughs> what, like what a privilege that is for them that, yeah. that, that they don't have to start thinking about how they're going to cure diseases because it's not in their life. It's not, it's not, um, like, so this was so relevant for you that mm -hmm. at eight, you started having these thoughts. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, Talk even proceeding, like, okay, yeah. so eight, you decide I'm going to do something about this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I promised I would cure or treat my mother one day. That was the, that was the statement. And she looked at me and said, that's very tender, dear. <laughs> <laughs> and I think all of us were like, what a cute thing to say. Yeah. Um, but I, I had a spark within me that, um, you don't mess around. We can, see I was that. not going to. Yeah. And I, I mean, even preceding my mom's cancer, both of my grandparents had just died in the year prior from, from cancer. Uh, one of them actually the same type as my mom. And then my dad uh, was also diagnosed with melanoma the year after her. So it was an intense time, I think. And so, uh, for myself as a young person, I, I wanted to love the people around me and the best ways that I could think of. And I had uh, curiosity and creativity as a young person. Um, and I think that many young people have that, that, that childlike innocence that we call, uh, call it is a superpower. Yeah. And that was when I look back, you know, one of the, the wonderful things about being so young and thinking, why not? Why, why not cure my mom? Why not go down this path? Um, I was, I was determined to do it. So 
yeah, that's kind of my introduction to lymphedema <laughs> and so my research. Eight, and you think, yeah. I'm, I'm going to do something about this. And what was the first, what was the first step you took? Yeah. So I, it, it wasn't, uh, until I was about 13 that I actually started to, to create action items and, and take action. Um, of course, around the house, it was very much like mom and I would enjoy watching TV after school. And, and you know, maybe if, if um, the people who'd help her with the therapy weren't uh, able to, they didn't come for some reason, I would actually come home at lunchtime and help manually care for my mother. Um, so I was doing those types of things. Um, but uh, yeah, around the time I was 12 or 13, I was, I was doing science fair projects. And that was my in. I thought maybe I can use science fair as a way to actually pursue drug treatment uh, research uh, for my mom's disease. And um, I just started reading these articles and they were both scientific articles and, you know, magazine things, random things about lymphedema or about, um, you know, many people who have had lymphedema or who have lymphedema may have had it from breast cancer. So picking up those types of magazines and, and reading about that and um, kind of doing that processing. And of course, there were the, there was some high level literature for a 13 year old at the time. Yeah. Yes. So even, you know, I don't have any, say, doctors or researchers in the family, but um, my mom used to be a, a healthcare worker. And so I'd say, mom, what does this this word mean? And so she would highlight them and say, okay, this is kind of what this means. Maybe Google these terms and see if you can piece it together. And so we had this beautiful mother-daughter connection uh, as I began really kind of pursuing the idea uh, that I was having as a, a young person. And uh, I came across an article in a gardening magazine by chance. Uh, and it was on our kitchen table and I was reading through and I learned about um, a particular uh, flower called the lupin flower, very common in the Maritimes. And uh, the article said they had strong anti-inflammatory properties. Mm -hmm. And because of that, again, young, young thinking in many ways, um, I thought, well, my mom's inflamed and this is an anti-inflammatory. So what if I tried to do something here? And so I wrote to the author of that article, I sent an email and said, hey, I'm a like grade eight, grade nine student, I'm, I'm thinking about doing this. Um, what are, you know, maybe a list of the most active compounds within the flower that I could start to read about and he gave me a list. And I started to uh, started to go and, and read more through that. Um, and I, I kind of whittled it down to maybe a group of five or six. And um, two of the compounds that I picked that I wanted to start to pursue had, you know, strong anti-inflammatory properties and had been used in diseases that were similar to lymphedema, um, but not exactly. And then I picked one by chance because I like the name or something. <laughs> well, and that yeah. is actually the one that's on yeah. now, but <laughs> and I, that's the one I actually still use to this day, about 10 years later, that is the one that remains as it has all these really positive influences on the lymphatic system. So as a teacher, I'm just thinking like, imagine having you in my class. I'd be like, wow, this kid, this kid is smarter than me. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, well, it's, it's interesting to be curious mind yeah. and like, and I'm, I'm going to do this. And then you just did it. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, I think the interesting thing was, was within the classroom. I, I enjoyed school, um, but it wasn't until I, I really started to get into this applied learning that uh, I was feeling really driven and inspired to 
to, to learn, like in a totally different way. There was this feeling that I couldn't quite place that I knew I was doing something that that was important that I needed to do and that I needed to learn. Um, and over the years, of course, I've reflected on what that is. And um, I had a, a wonderful interview uh, a couple of months ago, actually, uh, with somebody who she said, you've always been guided by a feeling. What do you know what that is? And I said, yes, I do. And she looked at me and she said, it's love, isn't it? And I said, yeah, love had driven my learning, had driven the way I wanted to, um, you know, transform my life um, uh, so that I could basically set myself up to care for people more fully. Um, and so, yeah, it, even when in the moments where it felt like my direction was all over, if I was 13, if I was eight, if I was 17, or now as a 23 year old, um, I, I have come to recognize that even when we feel our direction is, is changing, where there is love, there is always purpose. So if we can act with love, if we can take action with love, then we're on the right track. So that's beautiful. Okay, so at 15, you found yes. a team of clinicians to pursue lymphedema research across Canada. You were freaking 15 years old. Mm -hmm. What did that feel like? You had this, these people advocating so passionately on your behalf. First of all, how do you find them when you're 15? Mm -hmm. How do you get them to listen to you? How do you get them to take you seriously? What did that all look and feel like? Yeah. I mean, it, it was interesting. Um, lots of again, consistent work, but also these, these beautiful moments of almost like divine alignment kind of came together as well. Um, when something wasn't meant to be a door would close and when something was, it would open. Um, and so building kind of the, the research team and group and network, um, I started by, of course, I had my idea in working with actually a PhD candidate I had met through the science fair I was, work, I was, I was part of and said, you know, this is what I'm thinking for my proposal what other things should I look at? She helped me develop it a little bit more. And so I just started sending emails out to researchers all over. I grew up in Ontario, so all over Ontario, asking if anyone did lymphedema and I attached my proposal and got a lot of emails back that said, I, I love this idea, but I don't do this type of work and I don't know anyone who does. Uh, so I actually modulated my original project to fit into a lab that I knew at McMaster University, someone was working on kind of related immune system things with lymphedema or with the lymphatic system. And while I was working there, my original kind of research proposal had circulated all the way out to here in Calgary. And one of the only lymphatic and lymphedema researchers in Canada heard about the 14, 15 year old trying to cure it. And he invited me out. So I started to work in Calgary as a high school student uh, in my summers um, just after grade, it was in grade 10. And so we started to work more focused on this project. And then I had to go back to high school. So I came back, I actually put a thing on Facebook of does anybody know any researchers or coordinators or something, someone I can talk to in like the Hamilton area where I was going to school. And it was a friend of a friend, their mom knew someone. And so I met with this fellow. And he said, I think I know a guy. And so I then walked myself into a meeting with, uh, again, very well-known well, well PhD uh, who had a wonderful lab working with similar cells and said, here's my thoughts. Do you think we could transfer some of our experiments from Calgary and form a collaboration and bring it into Hamilton? And he said, "Where, where is this again, Calgary? I said, yeah. He's like, I'm going next week. Yep, I'd love that. I can go out there and meet with, uh, with the lab personnel in Calgary. And so that's what we did. 
and transferred things between Calgary and Hamilton. And uh, as I started writing grants as a young person, I knew I needed a clinical component. Um, and so I started to use that network that was building over time to meet clinicians and, and allied health personnel to join us. <laughs> did you always have, did you have like, do you suffer from crazy, crazy confidence? Like, <laughs> how did you do that? As a 15 year old, like, were you nervous? Did you just think like, again, obviously you were driven with love, but I was so awkward and intimidated by everyone. I was intimidated by other 15 year olds, Never mind like grown ass adults who know what they're doing. <laughs> like how yeah. you, just, um, you just owned it, I guess you just, any, any insights there? Like, how did you, for sure. you must've, were you nervous? Were you, I was, well, I yeah, that, I mean, I, I, there were these moments of, of, uh, discomfort or imposter syndrome. I don't belong here. I'm in a kilt in Keds coming from high school and going to this, whatever meeting like that has happened. Um, and so two, two things, the first was one of my, my early mentors, um, Dr. Allison Boyd is her name. She said, sometimes you got to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Yes. And that was a fantastic piece of advice because it is so true. Uh, in moments of discomfort come opportunity for immense growth is what I like to say. Yes. Like, um, we talk a lot about in, in this podcast with other people, we've spoken a lot about imposter syndrome and I've come to just recognize that it's something that we all have at all stages of our life, especially when we're trying new things. And again, you're not going to grow if you don't try anything new. And I think that imposter syndrome just kind of comes along for the ride, acknowledge it and carry on. Right. Yeah. I, and I think there's, there's a, a second aspect of it as well too, where especially with something like imposter syndrome or when we have a fear, we hear a lot about being fearless mm -hmm. and uh, you know, how, how great fearlessness is, which is true. I think in the acute short-term setting um, because you can just kind of put the blinders on for a moment and go and, and do what you need to do. Right. But what I, I think I was starting to learn as a young person and, and certainly hold true to myself now is the difference between fearlessness and, and courageousness, having courage. Yeah. Courage requires you to be with your fear. And if you can open your door to fear and welcome it in like a friend, um, I think you can, you can do many beautiful things and you start to realize that there's just, there's patterns in life of things that scare us. And even if we pass through one thing that scares us it, and, and we don't fully acknowledge it and we don't learn to be with it, it will manifest itself and find its, its way to our lives later. Exactly. So it was also about courage, right? Yeah. That's, that's That is so true because yeah, you can be scared and scared and scared and do nothing yeah. But you can like recognize it, acknowledge it, and then have the courage to move forward, to act. And then that's when the magic happens because that's when the action actually happens. And then the more hard things we do, the easier they get, or, or maybe the more we practice courage, the easier it is to continue to practice it. Cause I don't yeah. think like, like you said, different the, the scenarios are going to change, but it's always going to be there in one form. So if you're like, oh, here we go. There's that feeling again, acknowledge and then move forward. Yeah. That gets easier to do. I think. Exactly. It's kind of like a workout. If you, <laughs> you put on, on more weights, you, you learn to, to carry certain things. You learn to let certain things go, but you, you develop some, some different muscles in the process that help you to fare for the next time you, you encounter something new. Exactly. Yeah. 
Catherine, tell us what you're working on now. Yeah, so I have a couple different areas uh, of research in particular that I'm working on. I'm also well uh, ingrained into the advocacy scene too for lymphedema. So I'm vice president of a group called the ALA, Alberta Lymphedema Association. So we work provincially and then I'm involved with some national and international advocacy, uh, give some talks uh, different places as well. Um, and then I'm in med school, as, as you mentioned in, in my bio. Um, so that's plenty of Lots of time there, but um, from a, a research standpoint, a couple different things. So the work that uh, I'd started when I was a young person is continuing, which is pretty neat. And I mentioned it's that kind of one chance compound that seems to have shown some interesting aspects. Um, from that standpoint, I've also expanded the work into the realm of psychosocial oncology. So working with uh, people who have had lymphedema or who have lymphedema from specifically cancer treatment um, and, and really trying to understand what it has meant for them as human beings. Bringing that humanistic aspect uh, into my research uh, is, is really critical for me to, to make sure we are addressing lymphedema from all these different angles. Um, and and, and the, the data, they support each other. So what I might do from a drug standpoint is, um, is important to, to help people in terms of their well-being. But when we, we express our research in terms of, you know, what is the human component of this, makes, you know, this is why the drug research matters, because we are able to, you know, potentially care for people who need, need that support. Mm -hmm. I also work in the realm of uh, kind of surgical treatment of lymphedema, which has been really special. So I have um, collaborating with a group in, in Toronto, and then a group here in Calgary, a uh, group in Toronto, we're looking at um, basically reconnecting and reconstructing the lymphatic system after people develop lymphedema. And then uh, here in Calgary, also looking at um, basically trying to prevent or reduce the burden of lymphedema after people have cancer treatment by reconnecting the vessels during the cancer treatment. And uh, not too long ago, I had my first experience of being in the OR and being in that surgical setting and, and witnessing someone receive one of these surgeries. And I, I, it was a, a beautiful moment because of course, something like that. I think back to my mom at the time of first treatment and, you know, so that's, that's part of my research too, is the surgical piece and then also healthcare delivering modeling. Um, how can we improve the way in which we roll out care for these patients uh, to help them feel better supported and get the care they need. So. Amazing. I can't imagine the first time being in an OR, like not watching see it. TV, yeah. like you're, you're there. Yeah, and specifically for the the, the lymphedema surgery, um, it, for sure. That was the the moment of seeing. It felt like a total one eighty. Um, you know, being on the the care provision side of things, and and really seeing in that moment someone's lymphatic system getting reconnected um, to potentially you know Only prevent or yeah yeah improve their their outcome. So yeah, that's what I'm up to. Tell us a little bit about your Let's Talk Lymphedema campaign. Yeah, so I, I started that um, back in 20, 2015. And um, it's a talk series uh, really focused on educating patients, care providers, um, general public on lymphedema. Um, so I do a number of different talks in Canada and the States and uh, been over speaking in Ireland and uh, just did some some speaking on lymphedema in, in Paris as well, um, digitally because of COVID. 
would have been a nice trip, but that's okay. okay. Uh, <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I, I, I speak about both the journey, but also a, a fair bit of teaching and uh, have been doing that since I was yeah, 15, 16, um, which is a pretty special thing to be able to meet, you know, researchers, care providers, but then also just to connect with the patients uh, and to build a degree of community because you start to see these people at, you know, similar events. And um, it wasn't too long ago, I gave a talk for a group in, in BC and I recognized someone from my very first research talk when I was a 15 year old uh, and, you know, now being eight years later. And I just had this moment of watching, watching her uh, on, on the Zoom screen and just feeling so full because it was like, I remember meeting you being one of the, the first uh, patients that I'd really shared my work with. And yeah, so that's the, that's the campaign is plenty of different things, you know, teaching from medical residents to doctors to physiotherapists, um, all sorts of folks. So. And you must meet so many interesting people. You're one of Forbes magazine, top 30 under 30. Um, like just the connections that you must make through that, like so many interesting young people. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. One of my my best friends uh, is, uh, her name's Anne Makazinski. She developed a flashlight that runs off the heat of your hand. So you can, wow. it was ins yeah, inspired by one of her friends in the Philippines who wasn't doing, uh, able to do well in school because she didn't have light. So she developed this thing. Jimmy Fallon picked it up. She was on Jimmy Fallon's show a couple times. You know, wow. you meet such interesting people who are, are using their, I think their gifts and talents to improve the lives of others. And, and that seems to be one of the commonalities I see in these these people I've interacted with, these young people, especially. Yeah, it's, well, they uh, say surround yourself with, or you're, you're the, the- Yeah, the product of the- The five people that you surround yeah. yourself with the most and you must surround yourself with some pretty cool people. So like you did a TED talk. I did. Yeah. Like, that, that is a very, that's a very <laughs> big deal at a very young age. Um, like that's on a lot of bucket lists and you're just like checking them off. <laughs> okay. So let's talk about your Ted talk. How did that go? What'd yeah, you that, that was, that was great. It's uh, and I actually now coach, uh, I'm coaching some Ted speakers this year as well, which is a lot of fun. Wow. Um, yeah. But the, the Ted talk itself is, is kind of about um, some of those commonalities I saw in the young people I was, I was meeting through my, my research and advocacy endeavors. And one of the, the greatest commonalities I, I had seen was that these people were aligning their action with their core values um, and, and being guided by their, what they valued most. Um, and so that's, you know, how the talk started to materialize um, was really encouraging people to take time, just to, to take a second and, and reflect on what matters most and that you know, we talk about these big concepts of life purpose and what is my my goal in life or my direction. Those are big, daunting questions. But if we ask ourselves why, why we're doing something every day, it's like breaking that question into smaller pieces. And before you know it, if you are able to identify, oh, this is why this matters to me on a daily basis, you start to build a mosaic that is your purpose, which is, you know, a very interesting thing and so that's what I was seeing in these young people and that's what I wanted to to speak about was to encourage people to ask what they valued and, and how they would use those values to better better the people around them yeah yes and then you're encouraging basically 
on the, on the grand scale, you're making the world a better place because you are encouraging people to do what they love and do purpose-driven work, which is a game changer. And that yeah. looks different for everyone. We don't, we don't all have to be like doing like these crazy um, medical, like that doesn't have to be the journey. I think that mm-hmm. everyone's journey can be so very different, but if you're doing it because you love it and because you have a purpose behind that love, then you're, then you're making whatever it is that is your craft with purpose mm-hmm. and love. And I just think that's huge. Absolutely. I agree. Okay. I'm going to ask you some wine, woman, and well-being questions now. Are you ready? Got it. Let's go. <laughs> right. so, if you could sit down, have a conversation, a glass of wine with one woman, whether she be alive or not, who would you like to sit down with? Uh, so because I live so far from my mother, my mother might be my answer for one, one side of it, which, uh, for sure, especially during COVID, not getting to see each other. But uh, another person would be one of my favorite authors is uh, Joan Didion. And uh, ties into also my favorite book uh, she wrote. uh, It's called The Year of Magical Thinking. And uh, she had written it, uh, true story, uh, after her husband uh, tragically passed away uh, from cardiac arrest. So it was very sudden. And she expressed her processing uh, for the 365 days to follow her magical thinking um, after his, his passing. And um, I had read it in the first year of my undergrad uh, as one of my lifelong best friends. Unfortunately, she's, she's passing away from, uh, from brain cancer. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the way in which Didion had articulated the human experience just blew my mind. Like I, I had never experienced someone's words so fully and it could have been you know where I was at in life but uh Didion yeah wrote these really powerful human experience books after having a very successful career as a writer for like Vogue magazine and like writing about people in California in the 70s and she's got this cool spunk to her and all these different aspects of I just feel like I'd have a million and one questions about how she captures humanity so so beautifully so yeah. What is your go-to well-being or self-care practice? Uh, so music. Music is mine, for sure. Uh, so I play a number of different instruments, produce and write my own music. Produce and write your own music. No I big do. deal. Just slide yeah. that right under the radar. Yeah. <laughs> play. Um, uh, so I play guitar, piano, bass, drums. I sing. Um, God. Really, <laughs> I, I just couldn't sit still, I guess. So I just That's had to learn. Amazing. Music. No. <laughs> um, so yeah, I have, um, I have an EP that I produced a couple years back and then did a, a really interesting exercise, especially for med school, actually. Uh, when I first started out, I wrote two minute instrumental pieces uh, uh, for the first uh, 12 weeks of med school to track how I was feeling at the end of each week. Um, and that was very therapeutic. Um, and it's, it's incredible now. I will eventually release that, uh, that set of music, but um, to, to listen back to, you know, maybe I was having a really positive week and you could hear that in the music or a week where I was really wondering, you know, what am I going to do as a physician? What specialty might it be? And you can hear the, the searching and the journey within the music. So that is definitely. That, that is so cool. Yeah. So music is my, 
my self-care time. I needed to meet someone as interesting as you when I was in school. Like I like <laughs> might've been in, like running in a different crowd. Like I, that would have never crossed my mind to do that at that age. Like what a profound thing just to, what inspired you? You just decided to do that. The, so the music piece there? With, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I think music has always been, uh, has always been a, a therapeutic thing for me and, you know, med school is, is a big change uh, in terms of lifestyle. Uh, it's very busy. And so I was feeling like I needed to, to articulate or express how I was feeling, but I couldn't quite get it in words. Uh, you know, I journal lots, but I wasn't able to, to truly put my heart on, on paper. And so I needed another medium to do so. Um, and of course, I think the inner scientist within me was like, what a neat thing to analyze later. Yeah. <laughs> so put it all together and yeah, it's a mix of a couple parts of my personality, I suppose. So impressive. So you gave us your favorite book recommendation. Do you have a favorite podcast that you listen to? <laughs> I actually don't podcast very much. Don't. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. So wine by wine, woman and well-being. What a great option, Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, it's, it's, um, anytime I have, uh, uh, free time to listen, um, I listen to music yeah, and, fair enough. or silence. That is another big one for me just to sit in silence. Yeah. Well, when you have, yeah, I can appreciate that. Like you have a lot going on. You probably just need to relax your ears and brain your drums yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay what does sisterhood mean to you mm. you know it was an interesting uh, an interesting question um because I, I think of sisterhood um truly outside of the realm of of being sisters I, I think of of what it means to be part of a community of people um you know, man or woman, non-binary, however someone may identify. Um, and I think it's about celebrating each other um, and supporting each other in our pursuits, right? We are all on a journey, uh, both in terms of, of being, a, I guess, a collective of people who journey together, but we all have our unique path. And being able to celebrate and encourage someone who is on their path, um, you know, to me, that means means community. Um, I think, you know, had a, an interesting conversation and a reflection on uh, community, the sense of community as, as the feeling of home as well, finding home with each other um, and recognizing that home may not necessarily be a, a place or a, a single person. Um, it exists in the space between us. And so that's what I think we can when I think about, you know, whether that's sisterhood or, or if I can say peoplehood uh, like that, that's what I think of is, is being with one another as, as uh, human beings and, and celebrating our differences, different backgrounds, what we can teach each other and, and learn from each other. Um, yeah. Those I are really like that. Thoughts. Thanks. Now, normally I ask the ladies on this show, what advice they would give their 16 year old self. But I feel like I don't know if I should ask you that. Go for it. Your 16 year old self was so freaking impressive. Oh. Is there anything like you were doing so much at 16 that I feel like it maybe is a different, would you, would you still have advice now? that you would give your 16 year old self? Or I feel like maybe I should ask you what advice you would give that eight year old girl 
maybe that's the question for you. What would you tell your eight-year-old self? I think I would tell my eight-year-old and my 16-year-old self very similar things. Okay. Um, And I'm sure in 10 years, I will tell my 23-year-old self now the same thing always. Um, Is that you will be okay. And um, if you can have faith in what is beyond you and trust in what is within you, you will be okay. Um, and really focusing on that trust piece. I read a, a beautiful quote um, from, I think she was one of the first female physicians. She had rewritten the oath that physicians take before they they uh, take their doctor hat officially, the Hippocratic Oath. And she wrote, may I trust that my love is as needed as my knowledge. And I think that that trust piece really speaks to me now would be something that I think when I was 16, I'd always question, am I on the right path? I think so. It feels, feels right because of that love kind of uh, radar that we talked about in my eight-year-old self back then, you know, is this what is, is meant to be? And that's exactly it. Have, have trust in that process, have trust in what you believe in, which is love um, and trust in what is within you in terms of the skills and your capacity to not just, I think I wanted to, to, not only like change, change the world or create change in the world, but to change people's hearts is always something there. So yeah, you did this, you began this journey out of love for your mother. And I just think that as a mom, like I could almost cry just saying it, (laughs) you must be so damn proud of you. Um, Mm. So thank you for what you're doing in this world and for being such a shining example for young girls like my daughters, you are the kind of person that any mother would hope for them to become and for them to look up to. So thank you for doing what you're doing. Thanks so much, Lisa. I, I really appreciate you saying you that. You got me. <laughs> Did not see that coming, but I, <laughs> like, I just I just think you're, you're doing beautiful things. So thank you thank so much. You. And thanks for joining us and sharing it with your story with us today. Oh, thanks so much for having me and, and, and such a wonderful conversation. It's always so great to connect with you. And uh, again, the community of, of wonderful people that you've been able to, to put together. Um, thank you for the work you are doing. Well, I'm happy you're part of it. <laughs> me too. <laughs> thanks for listening, friends. If you like what you've heard, subscribe and recommend us to a friend. Head to winewomenwellbeing.com to find out more about what our community is all about and reach out to us on social media. We'd love to connect. Until next time, stay classy, stay kind.